Well, this week we're taking a change of tack from uh, the book of Mark that we've been looking at for the past handful of months to pause in the lead up to Christmas to really look at mission and our month of mission. So we thought it would be good to spend some time uh, looking at John's gospel in particular today as we reflect on mission. It's a one-off message, uh, not quite a topical message, but a message to try and help us think about Christmas. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to John chapter 4, verse 31. This message I've entitled, A Missional Christmas. We're going to be uh, spending most of our time actually in the book of John uh, this morning. But we're not going to be uh, looking at this little section here for most of the time. Actually, we're going to be spending most of our time looking at the passage about uh, Jesus with the woman at the well. Uh, The passage I like to call Jesus and the shady lady. Um, We're going to be looking at uh, this passage. This passage is actually really mainly about uh, Jesus being the one who satisfies us. That's the purpose of John. John writes in John chapter 20, verse 31, the purpose of this book, the reason why I'm writing these things is that you might know that Jesus is the Christ and in believing have life in his name. That's what John really wants from us. But in the midst of Jesus and his example with this uh, shady lady, this woman at the well, uh, Jesus pauses with his disciples and he really gives them three lessons in the midst of serving this lady from uh, Samaria by the well. He pauses and gives three lessons, three lessons from his example, lessons that I believe are relevant to us as we think about mission this morning. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 4, verse 31. I'm going to read through to 38. John writes, Meanwhile the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we want to thank you and we want to thank you for the power of your gospel. Lord, so often when we think about mission, the things that we feel are fear, weakness, challenge, 
And yet we believe that your gospel is powerful. Lord, I pray for us this morning. Would you refresh us by way of a reminder of the power of your gospel, of your presence with us? And pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christmas is in the air, isn't it? The holiday season is upon us and you can really begin to feel it, whether you're at the shops and looking at all the decorations on the trees or whether you're at work and you're increasingly maybe feeling the ramp up in the lead up to Christmas or the ramp down as things start to slow down or at home with the Christmas trees going up and thinking about all the things you need to do. Holidays are upon us. And if you're anything like me, you can start to almost feel like you're beginning to already kind of switch off. You're already beginning to start to daydream during the day. You know, for Charlotte and I, it's actually our first anniversary next Sunday. And um, yeah, can you believe it? One year's passed so quickly for us. And, and so already I find myself uh, sitting at work or wherever and suddenly, you know, my mind is just daydreaming off to, to holidays and, you know, the places I'd like to be, which beaches I'd like to be, uh, you know, uh, swimming at or traveling to or which restaurants I'd like to be eating at. We're already sort of beginning to head towards Christmas and the holidays. Holidays are in the air and so we begin to, I believe, at this time of the year, find ourselves feeling distracted. Distracted. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, in his book Crazy Busy, writes uh, about our everyday experience, you know, living in the cities that we do with our lives like we do. He says, he says this, he says, we are here, there, and everywhere. We are distracted. We are preoccupied. We can't focus on the task in front of us. We don't follow through. We don't keep our commitments. We are busy with a million pursuits that we don't even notice the most important things slipping away. Isn't that true? Particularly at this time of year, we can find ourselves so distracted. Well, this Christmas, I believe we have an amazing opportunity. We have opportunities all throughout the year, but at Christmas, we really have a unique opportunity and I really don't want for us to miss it. You know, I've been thinking a lot about uh, reaching out as we make plans for 2016. I've been thinking a lot, particularly about my neighbourhood, Waitara, where I live. You know, they are building in Waitara thousands and thousands of units. Just to the left of us, there's a block with some 500 plus units that's going to be opening in October next year. On the other side of us, there's another block with another 100 units. Across the road from us, on the other side of the park where we live, there is basically a whole street that is turning into units and thousands and thousands of people who don't know Jesus are moving into this suburb. And you see, Christmas is such a key time for us as we think about mission, it's a key time for us to be on mission because it's a time in which people are thinking, some more than others, about the Christmas story, about Jesus, where people who uh, might not otherwise go to church, CEO Christians we call them, uh, Christmas Easter only Christians, uh, 
who come to church, you know, regularly, regularly once or twice a year, um, who will come to church and are open to hearing about Jesus. More than that, for even people who wouldn't even think of coming to church, Christmas is a time where people have time, where people are relaxed, where people are available. And so Christmas is an opportunity, and that's why we're pausing to examine this passage, in this message, A Missional Christmas. Really, we're going to look at three lessons from Jesus this morning, but one real point that I'm just praying for myself, I'm praying for us, and that is that we would not miss the opportunity to help people meet Jesus this Christmas. That we would not miss the opportunity to help people meet Jesus. That's what we're on about. We want people to meet Jesus, and I think there's an amazing opportunity. Well, let's begin then with point one, the harvest. Point one comes from Jesus in verse 35 of our passage where Jesus says this. He says, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus is saying that there's this harvest right before the disciples' eyes. A harvest here in John is a symbol for people coming to trust in Jesus. People coming to be part of Jesus' new kingdom that he's bringing in. Coming to trust in Jesus, to make him their Lord and Savior. The question for the disciples, though, that Jesus wants them to see is, can they see it? Can they see this harvest? Well, as we turn to look at our passage, Jesus and the Shady Lady, just by way of context in John, Jesus has kicked off his ministry. Uh, John the Baptist has announced that here's this one, behold the Lamb of God who comes to to take away the sins of the world. John has announced that Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. And Jesus calls his disciples and he gets stuck into showing people who he is. He rocks up at this wedding in chapter 2, the wedding in Cana, and he turns the water into wine. He goes to the temple and he starts cleansing at the temple. And he's just blowing John the Baptist's mind. John the Baptist, it can't believe that the one who's been promised is finally here. And now we turn to our passage where Jesus is in Samaria. You see, Samaria, 700 years earlier, had been invaded by the Assyrians, when it was the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Assyrians had come and they'd basically wiped the place out. And for the remnant of people that were there, they'd taken their own people and placed them there and mixed their race races all in together, their race and their religion. So it was a mixed racially, mixed religious place. And for people living in the south, in Judah, in Jerusalem, they hated these people. They hated them with a passion. Think of two groups uh, in our day and age that hate each other's guts. That's what this was like, absolute hatred. But this passage is not an accident. This is God himself with a great plan, a great plan to teach us something about himself. So let's pick up the story that Jesus is teaching us from in verse 4. Verse 4, John chapter 4, verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. 
So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was the sixth hour. So Jesus comes from his traveling into this town purposefully. He had to go there because he had a plan. And he's absolutely knackered. He's knackered. This is God become man, but who's not distant from us, who feels what we do, who feels the same things as us. And it's the sixth hour of the day or midday, and it's smoking hot, and he's sweating and tired, and he sits beside this famous well, and he's thirsty. And this lone woman comes to the well. You see, most women would normally go to a well, not in the middle of the day, but early in the morning when, no one, uh, when, when it's cooler. But this woman has gone in the middle of the day. Why? Well, this woman, as we will see, is trying to avoid other people. Why? Because, as we know, she's a shady lady. She's a lady with a past. Let's carry on reading from verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. God the Son speaks to this woman in this moment, and it's a scandal. It's a scandal for multiple reasons. One, it's a scandal because a rabbi would never speak to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. Secondly, it's here a scandal because this woman, as we know, is no ordinary woman. This is a sinful woman. But the God-man Jesus, he's here for a purpose. He's here specifically for this woman. You see, at this point, I just want to pause and, and just to make the point that I know for me, we can be so busy with life that we miss the harvest. My question, I was thinking about this week, would we have noticed this woman? Would we have stopped to share with this woman? You know, I find we're so easily distracted and especially at this time of year, you know, kids sport or paying the bills, the meeting at work, the family get together, the music concert next week, the car that needs servicing, the project at work that's running over budget, the dental appointment that needs to be made and the holiday accommodation that needs to be finalized but only after the credit card is paid off this month. Not to mention the 325 unanswered emails waiting for you in your email inbox. We get busy with a million different tasks. But I I put to us this morning that we need to pay attention to Jesus' example in this moment. This is our God. He had a total ministry of only about three years. And I put to you, Jesus was a busy man. He had, in those three years, Many, many things to do. He was healing the sick, casting out demons, plagued by crowds, teaching, praying, avoiding crowds, avoiding those that would try to persecute him. He was busy. 
but he's traveled all the way to this town for this moment, for this woman. You see, in Jesus, we see the God who's bothered about the ones and twos. Our tender-hearted king pausing. Our tender-hearted king who's bothered about the ones and twos, and we know this because he was bothered about us. And this woman says to Jesus, why are you speaking to me? And Jesus says, read on, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He came to us us to the well and gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus says, If you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for living water. And this woman, she she thinks he's talking about physical water. She, she just absolutely doesn't get what Jesus is talking, talking about at all. Read on, verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir... Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to drink water again. Jesus says, drink physical water and you'll be thirsty again. I'm talking about something that will make you never thirsty again. And the woman's like, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, great, excellent. Give me some of this. I hate coming here. It's a deep well, it's hard work. Plus there's all those ladies who just constantly judge me. And Jesus stops and he looks at her with his piercing eyes and he sees that this woman is a deeply thirsty lady. Let's keep reading, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This woman has a thirst that is way deeper than water. This woman has a deep thirst, and that is that this is a woman longing relationship. She is repeatedly drinking from the fount of relationship. Time and time and time again. Six times in total, in fact. And she's still craving more. And Jesus sees right to the core of her thirst and he knows exactly what she's craving and he knows that he holds the key to her thirst. And he knows that she is white for the harvest. She is ready for the harvest. She is ripe for the harvest. But the harvest is not in the place that we might expect. 
You know, it's not down at the local synagogue with average Joe Jew or with Rick the Rabbi. It's not. It's with this scummy Samaritan woman. This woman, this sinful lady, this lady with a history sitting alone, wanting to be alone, but divinely placed for this moment. It doesn't look anything like a harvest, does it? Not on the surface. It looks more like a mustard seed. Something insignificant. So Jesus, knowing his disciples will struggle to see the harvest, says in verse 35, I tell you, some say four months from now the harvest will come, but lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes, he says. You see, the natural state of the disciples is not seeing the harvest. It's looking at their feet. They had no expectation whatsoever of a harvest. They're in Samaria. I mean, it's practically pagan Gentile land. And I think just like the disciples, we can also struggle to see the harvest. Jesus says to us, we need to lift up our eyes. You see, this Christmas, we live in a city filled with deeply thirsty people. Thirsty people drinking from many founts. Thirsty people drinking from the fount of relationship. Thirsty people drinking from the fount of sex, from the fount of partying, from the fount of drugs, from the fount of the property market, from the fount of kids' successes, from the fount of career, from the fount of academic achievement. Constantly drinking, never satisfied. That's the city we're living in. I mean, just this week, uh, we were moving place. Uh, we've been you know, on our way up to pack again, and we're in the lift going up, and this, this old guy that I've seen around heaps of times before, I just said, hi, how are you going? And you know, introduced myself and just said, what are you up to? And his name's John. He lives on level eight. He's a man of, in his late 70s, uh, retired. And John says to me, you know what? When you reach my age, you're not good for anything. He goes on to say, they should take old people like me and throw them in the tip. I mean, so I was saying, look, mate, that's not the case, that's not true, but my heart was just, my heart was just moved by that. Here is this man thinking that he is absolutely good for nothing. Loneliness, purposelessness, despair, thirsty for relationship, meaning, joy. And that's just one example. You know, we were just uh, moving our things across to our new unit. This guy pops out called Michael, lives in the unit. Uh, next door to us, said, hi, my name is Brendan, we're new here. He says to me, do you know what? That's the first time anyone has ever introduced themselves to me the whole time I've been living here. Thirsty people. Longing for relationship. You see, Jesus goes on to say, the fields 
are white for harvest. We not only need to lift up our eyes and see all these thirsty people living around us, but to see that there's this harvest, there's people waiting to come and hear the good news about Jesus. But so often we can doubt that there's anyone out there ready to know Christ at all. It's too hard. No one's interested. I mean, that's the way I often feel. But friends, church, when we, when we think this way, we're denying the truth of what Jesus is saying. We're saying, Jesus, no, there is no harvest. But Jesus makes a firm promise here. He says to us, not in four months, the harvest is now, the harvest is white, the harvest is ready. There is no harvest problem, Jesus says. The harvest is just fine. It's ready. Not in the future, not with some growing time more. The harvest is ready and it's ready now. Well, that's the first lesson Jesus wants us to see is that there is an abundant harvest. We just need to ask God to help us to see it. We need to lift up our eyes and see. Well, not just that there's a harvest, but point number two, the laborers. Why don't you uh, read with me again verse 37, 38, where Jesus gives us this lesson about laborers. Jesus says, For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you out to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. It's this beautiful picture that Jesus gives us of a, 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 a farmyard or a, a crop that's all ready and prepared. The work of tilling has been done. The work of sowing the seed has been, been done. And there's this guy rocking up with a huge harvester driving along and just picking up all the goodies. That's the picture that Jesus wants us to see. And this picture Jesus wants us to see is about helping people meet Jesus. But what's it all about? Well, in one sense, it Jesus is referring to the work of all the prophets and messengers that had gone before Jesus' disciples. You see, since man first turned his back on God, he'd sent messengers to point them back. Thousands and thousands of years of helping people to come and look forward to and eventually trust in Jesus. And the final one of these messengers is John the Baptist, who has the task of saying, yep, it's this one right over here. And all of these people died without having the harvest ready. And now Jesus has come and he's going to the cross and all the work of preparing the ground is done. They can just rock up and, and, and reap the harvest because of the work of others that have gone before. You know, I was thinking about that this week and just how often that is the case that God works in people's lives through multiple people. You know, just this week we were with a couple that had been on the Introducing Jesus course and um, who, who've since uh, turned back to follow Jesus. And um, we were chatting away uh, with this beautiful couple, and um, they were just sharing again about uh, how for her husband, who has no Christian background, her, she grew up in church, and they started dating, and because she'd kind of really turned her back completely on God, and they started dating, and he started turning up to this family's place, uh, a family uh, in this church, and, and just noticed that, the way they lived was completely different. 
and just really begin to make him really, really interested. Like, what is with the way these people live? And he began to understand that it was because they're Christians following Jesus that they live differently. And this would become very attractive to him. And and then it turned out he'd had a, a Christian friend for many years who he'd often actually been the one amongst their group of friends leading the charge, ridiculing this guy for being a Christian. And he knew this guy was a Christian. And so it turned out more recently... He'd been meeting up with this Christian friend of his to read the Bible just because he was interested in learning more about Jesus. And then here this guy comes along to introducing Jesus and we're talking more about Jesus and what it means to follow him until he's at a place where that's something he wants to do. And it's just this amazing story of over the years, many, many different people uh, doing the hard work of tilling the ground for this brother to come to trust in Jesus. But there's an even greater meaning to this passage. Yes, in one sense, when people come to trust in Jesus, we're always, or nearly always, standing on the shoulders of others who have labored before us. But there's another meaning of the passage, and that is that the Lord goes before us. You turn with me to chapter 4, verse 21, and hear what Jesus says to this woman. Jesus says this. He said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And hear this. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Did you catch that? Not that people are seeking to worship the Father, but that the Father is seeking people to worship him. And this is exactly what Jesus is modeling for the disciples with this woman. He's pausing to seek out a lost sheep. I sent you to reap that for which you didn't labor. The one who has sown for us, the one who has labored for us, is God himself, is Jesus. I mean, this week I was just thinking about my own story. I was thinking about how I used to be this this teenager who was just so anxious and worried about what people used to think about me. All the time I would worry and worry. I was obsessed with promoting myself and the fame of my own name and and just disinterested in church. Knew the, all the stories, but just really increasingly drawn away by my friends until this day in which I was sitting in class and going with a joke, teasing a girl that day for being a Christian, when she stops, turns around, and says to me, and it feels like she's the only one speaking, and I'm the only one in the room, and she says, don't you laugh, I believe in that. And then the Lord moved in my heart. I felt the Lord really pushing me to consider, who am I following? Am I following my friends and popularity, or am I going to follow Jesus? The Lord came after me. It's not just that someone shared the gospel with me, but the Lord was working in me, changing my heart. And that's the truth of the gospel. It's not only that Jesus died for us, 
but that he sent his spirit to work in us, to bring us from death in our transgressions and sins to being raised alive and followers of him. You see, God is sending us to reap what we haven't labored for. It's a harvest that he's prepared. And in helping people, similarly in Jesus, we face many temptations. Despite the fact that it's a harvest that he's prepared for us, we face temptations. I mean, this is what I commonly feel. Firstly, we can write people off. We can think that somehow what a person is going through and where their heart is at is different from what is common to all people. We can categorize people into being in situations more or less difficult for the Lord to save. We can think that somehow we were an easier case for God. We were easier for him to save. We were already pretty good and already kind of Christian and it was much easier for him to save us. And that's just pride, isn't it? We are entering into God's labor. He sows, we reap. The second temptation I think we can face is we can be paralyzed by fear. You know, I often feel paralyzed by fear. I mean, for instance, you know, this Christmas we have our family get together and I'm meeting my sister's girlfriend for for the first time. And to be honest with you, I'm often fearful of what do I say? I mean, how do I love? What if they say something I can't answer? What if I confirm their suspicions by being awkward and distant? How do I, how do I love people in my own family? We are entering into his labor. We don't need all the answers. He's working. And more than that, he's with us. We are the people who worship in spirit and in truth. His Holy Spirit is in us and working through us. And because the great sower is at work in our story, look at what happens. Jesus reveals himself to this woman. She starts, goes and starts telling everyone. So they come out to see Jesus. And in verse 39, we read the following. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus is at work in this one mustard seed of a woman. And because of his work, revival breaks out. Why such amazing fruit? Why such amazing results? Was it because of the amazing disciples Jesus had? Because of their faithfulness? Because of their example? In this story, they're only distant and on the sidelines. No, it's because of the one who is at work preparing this harvest, our Lord Jesus. A question I wanted to ask us to consider this morning is this. If God is with you, going before you to prepare a 
harvest. What might you be able to do to join in with his work this Christmas? If God is going before us, preparing a harvest, what could we do this Christmas to really join in? I mean, maybe for you it would be inviting your neighbor over for dinner. Maybe for you it would be baking cookies for all the people in your building and inviting them to carols. Maybe it would be asking that friend if you can share about how Jesus changed your life. Maybe it would be getting involved in a local community group or sports team so that you can be a friend of sinners. Or maybe it would also be praying that God would bring someone into your life, someone like the shady lady into your life for you to share with about Jesus. Well, in summary, the, labor, the laborers are those who enter into the pre-prepared harvest of God. Well, not just the harvest, not just the laborers, but finally, and where we wanted to finish, I wanted to finish today, the purpose. You might be left wondering, well, if it is God who works in people to prepare this harvest, why do we need to be a part at all? I mean, maybe I can just chill at home this Christmas and not be involved in any way in this harvest. Well, a few things I wanted to say. Firstly, there can be no doubt whatsoever that God calls us as Christians to share the news about Jesus. Jesus instructs his disciples multiple, multiple times at the end of his earthly ministry to do this. A classic example is Matthew 28:19. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus commands not only his inner 12, but all of us by connection to them to go and make disciples of the nations, go and share the news about Jesus and love people and teach them what it means to follow him. Again, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what the first Christians gave their lives to do, to tell other people about Jesus. Well, the message of the cross is not only something that calls us to go and share because Jesus commands us, but also in light of the plight of our neighbors. You see, the message of the Bible is that God is our creator and he made everything, including us. We are his creatures. We are like earthen pots made by him. And so he owns us. We belong to him. We are not independent. We are not people that have a right to live as we please. We belong to God. We're his creatures. More than that, we're his creatures in rebellion. We, from our very first forefathers, have turned our back on God and said, God, I do not want to live for you, though you are my creator. I want to live for myself. I want to be the master of my own destiny. And rightly, because of this, because God is our maker, because we are in rebellion against him and we refuse to submit to him, we are worthy of punishment for our wrongs. We are worthy to be quashed and destroyed by God, our maker. And yet God 
sent his son to earth for us. God our maker sent his son, transforming him into one of us. Isn't that amazing? Transforming him into an earthen pot just like us. But he didn't just send his son to be one of us, to be another one of his people. He sent his son to die in our place. And so Jesus came and died on that cross, suffering all the punishment that we deserve to enable us to come back to God, to enable us to have right relationship with God. I know many people recently have been thinking about the parachutings, shootings, and it's an awful atrocity. It's an awful injustice, the innocent slaughter of some 170 people, the injuring of some 400 people, it's been in the news everywhere and the world has been shocked by it. Now imagine if the perpetrators for this crime were found and then let off. That would be a horrible injustice. And similarly, because our God is both loving and just, he sees our crimes and cannot just let us off. He is just. He sees all the wrongs in the world and promises that the punishment that they deserve will be placed upon them. And because of this, without Christ, without accepting all that Jesus has done for us, we are a people who are perishing en masse. People facing God's judgment, God's right anger and punishment for all our wrongs against him and others, but facing it absolutely alone needing to know about Jesus. You know, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that is, saved from God's punishment. But how will they call on him in whom they have never not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, God clearly calls us as Christians to share Jesus with other people. But have you ever wondered why? Well, if he's all sovereign, I mean, can't he just zap people and then they'd believe? Why does he need us? Well, passage, I believe, beautifully gives us some insight into why God chooses to involve us in his work. Why don't you read with me the first part of verse 36. Jesus says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Already there's people out there receiving a reward, gathering the harvest, people coming to eternal life, people receiving the fruit. But what's the point? Read on with me. Gathering fruit for eternal life. Why? So that the sower, that's God, and reaper, that's us, may rejoice together. Did you catch that? So that the sower, that's God, and the reaper, that's us, may rejoice together. You see, God's purpose 
in involving us in his work is for us to experience some of his joy in the harvest. Seeing people come to salvation through trusting in Jesus. Why use us in mission? Why use us? It's a precious gift to us. There's a father who wants to involve us in his work so we can experience something of his joy. The joy Christ feels at this Samaritan woman coming to know him. He wants that for us. And so he calls us to be involved. I was just thinking about introducing Jesus uh, this last term and just all these conversations about with people about Jesus and just where they're at and where God's revealing himself to them at different points. And just every week I would walk away just feeling like, oh, that is so good, like seeing what God's doing in this person's life. It's amazing. And there's something about being involved in that work that just fills you with joy. You know, often if I'm honest, um, when I feel anxious or distracted, or self-pitying, or have complaints. So often I have to ask myself this question. When was the last time, honestly, I spoke to someone about Jesus? When was the last time I shared with a friend about Jesus? And often the answer is, it's been a long time. There's something about being involved in what God is doing in the world that just fills us with joy. We get to experience something of his joy. Paul writes it in a different way to in his letter to Philemon in verse 6. He says this uh, of his prayers for Philemon. He says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul is saying, I'm praying for you that as you share your faith, you may come to a fuller understanding of everything that you have in Jesus. You might more fully experience the joy of knowing Christ. You know, it's something like uh, when I was growing up, I used to mow the lawns with my dad. My dad would uh, mow the lawns, he'd leave the catch off, and I had this little toy mower um, with a hand on a little thing that would just like spin and make a noise. And my dad used to mow the lawns and I used to follow around behind him and I used to just love it so much. I was so excited. Like I'd run outside, grab my mower and I'd be out behind uh, dad with my, my older brother beside me and we'd just mow the lawns following my dad. And you might ask, was I effective in mowing the lawns? Was I helping my dad? Uh, no, I wasn't. But I'll tell you what I was doing. I was bringing my dad and myself much joy. You see, friends, mission is an opportunity for us. It's a gift to us to be involved in the Lord's mission. And when we're not involved, we're missing out on experiencing much of the joy the Lord has for us. You see, there's no place for feeling condemnation when it comes to helping others meet Jesus. It's a precious gift to us from God. It's a gift from our Father in order for us to experience the joy of his work in seeing others come to know him. Well, in closing, there is a great harvest in this city. We need to ask the Lord to help us to slow down, to look up and to see it. We are called to be his laborers, but we go with confidence, knowing that he's prepared the harvest already. And finally, that he has purpose to involve us for our good and his glory, that we might experience his joy would we not miss the opportunity to help people meet Jesus this Christmas? Let me pray. Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, this morning 
for your sovereign work in mission. We want to thank you this morning that you are gracious and merciful and that you call people to follow you. You call people to trust in the work your son's done. And that's such a gift, Lord. That's such a gift. That's such a precious gift that we don't deserve. More than that, Lord, we want to thank you this morning that you choose to use weak people like me to reach others with the message of Jesus. Lord, thank you for that kindness. Use weak people to reach others for Jesus, not because you need us, because you want us to experience your joy. What a precious gift from you. I just pray for us as a church. I just pray, Lord, have your way amongst us this Christmas. Lord, would you help us to seize every opportunity to partner with you on your mission, Lord? Would you help us to lift up our eyes and see where the harvest is, Lord, and then to step out in faith and join you? And Lord, would you reap a great harvest in and through this church? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.